This message was recorded at Vision Baptist Church in Alfred, Georgia. It is our prayer that you will be blessed by the preaching of God's Word. All right, take your Bibles if you would and open them to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, and we'll read there in the Bible, Romans chapter 3. And today we're going to find the whole world guilty before God. That's what the Holy Spirit's going to prove to us before the day is over the whole world guilty before God. You've been in Romans. You've watched God as he takes us through this and he shows us that man is a sinner and man has failed God and man is without any uh, opportunity, any option of defending himself. We are, were sinners before Almighty God. Read with me if you would, Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 1. The Bible says, What advantage then hath the Jew? Or what profit is there of circumcision? Before I keep reading, well, listen to this. The Jews were saying, now, wait a minute, Paul. You can be hard on those Gentiles. You can be hard on those guys, but you really can't be too hard on us. We're the special people. We're the group that God loved. We're the chosen people. We're the circumcised people. We have the word of God. It sounds to me like you're trying to lump us in with everybody else. Uh, sounds kind of like southeastern United States cultural Christians. We're like, hey, don't lump us in with all the big bad West Coast people or the big bad people from anywhere else. But he says, hey, what advantage is the Jew? Verse, Paul says in verse 2, much. He's got a lot of advantages, much every way. Chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. God gave them his word. He trusted them to write his Bible. They've given us 39 books. They're fixing to give us 27 more including this one, verse 3. For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? God forbid. Yea, let God be true. Let God be true, but every man a liar. As it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings and mightest overcome when thou art judged. But if our unrighteousness commend the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous? Who taketh vengeance? I'm talking like a man. I speak as a man. God forbid. For then how shall God judge the world? For if the truth of God hath more abounded uh, through my lie unto his glory, why am I yet also judged as a sinner? And not rather as we slanderously be reported, as some affirm that we say, let us do evil that good may come, whose damnation is just. What then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have before proved before both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. If you have your Bible open, you should underline in that verse. Paul says, let me just make it clear. Nobody's better than anybody. We have proved both Jews and Gentiles that all, all are under sin. Starting in verse 10, he's going to quote Old Testament. He is a good expository preacher. He uses the word of God. He says, as it is written... In the Old Testament, what the prophets say, and here's a string of verses he goes and gets. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their way, in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, 
is said to them that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. You should put a circle around that part. That's where the whole title comes from. That's where the, that's the crux of this chapter. That's the main point. That every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Verse 20. And because of that, therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Underline, by the law is the knowledge of sin. Father in heaven, I pray that today you would help us to realize who we were before you saved us. And if there's someone here today that is not born again, doesn't know you, and hasn't been uh, forgiven of their sin, I pray, God, that you'd help them to realize that all the world stands guilty and no one can say anything. No one can say they're okay. No one can say, I have my own opinion. I pray, dear God, that you would work in our lives and I'll give you praise and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans 3, he's concluding. We'll get the rest of it next week. He's concluding an argument. He started off telling you the gospel is good news. And then he showed you how man started in the beginning knowing God. And man has progressively denied God and not believed in God. And gone all the way down a horrible spiral that's in Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 2 he comes to the Jews and he says you guys claim that you're good. He said but you tell other people not to steal. But do you steal? You say you know the Bible but are you doing what you know to do? And in Romans chapter 3 he's going to conclude the matter. And when he gets through he wants to say hush. Don't try to defend yourself. No excuses. Nothing you can say. Everybody is guilty before God. By the way, that is a fantastic truth when we learn it. When we learn that we are guilty, when we learn that we have failed God, then we're ready for grace. But today, chapter 3 is going to be pretty harsh. He's going to say over and over to us, you cannot go to heaven without me. You are not good enough without me. He is going to establish very clearly in Romans chapter 3 that all the world is guilty. All the world is guilty. The whole world is guilty before God. So number one, if you want to write something down, the law condemns all of us. The law condemns everyone everywhere. The law. That's the Old Testament. That's what God's word says. Look if you would in Romans chapter 3 and verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? No. In no wise, Jews, you are not better than they. Hey, Gentiles, you're not better than they. We have proved before, we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles, they are all under sin. Look at John 3, 18. If you don't have this verse in your heart and memorized, you need to know this. In John chapter 3 and verse 18, every person on the planet is condemned already. The Bible says in John three eighteen, he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he had not believed in the name of the uh, only begotten Son of God. You see, what happens is we tend to think that people are born innocent And uh, they're going to grow up and they get to a place in their life when they choose to accept God or not to accept God, to be saved or not to be saved. And in John 3, 16, you got that most beautiful and powerful verse that God loved the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Which is so true. It is true. 
But you should not take by that universalism or the idea that everybody's all right, that everybody's going to get saved. Because he says, hey, in case you don't know, I do love you, and I did give my son for you, and you can all be saved. But you need to know that up front, you're condemned already. In John 3, 18, he said that they're condemned already. So everybody stands condemned. Everybody's on death row. Everybody's sitting right outside the lake of fire. Everybody's sitting right down the hall from the electric chair. Everybody is condemned already. The Bible says, maybe write it down there, Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Sin has a wage. The wage is is death. So here it is. The Jews are condemned. The Jews wanted to know if Paul was denying that they had something special as the people of God. They say, hey, you're saying that we're not good? You're saying that we don't have something different? You say we don't have something special? They had been persecuted. They were the people of God. They had the scriptures given to them, and they were special. They hung on to knowing the scriptures. They hung on to the fact that they wrote the scriptures. They hung on to their their circumcision, and they did have an advantage. They did have an advantage. The word of God was committed to them. They had been the group of people that had the Bible. If anybody ought to know God, it ought to be them. But just because Jews had the Bible doesn't mean they believed the Bible. It doesn't change the facts. Could I just say that it's very easy for you to think, hey, I grew up in, a, in the southeastern United States of America. I've gone to Bible-believing churches all my life. I believe the Bible. I believe God. I read the Bible. I believe all that. And this is exactly what Paul would say. You're just like a Jew. You think because your mama was and your daddy was, and you think because you got a Bible, and you think that all that, but that's just simply not true. It's not a matter of having a Bible. It's not a matter of being a member of a group. It's not a matter of an outward thing like circumcision or baptism. We've all sinned. We've all sinned and we're going to need God. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3 and verse 5 that God will judge the world by what he wrote in the word. He said, Jews, yeah, you got the Bible, but don't you know what God's going to do? He's going to ride you. You had a Bible and I told you. Verse 5, he said, if our unrighteousness come in, the righteousness of God. He said, hey, guys, you got a Bible. You've been doing wrong. And if anything, it just shows that God is more right. The Jews are are condemned. The Gentiles are condemned. Romans 3, 9, that you've already read with me once, says, What then? Are we better than they? No. In no wise. We're not one bit better off than they are. Because we have already proved, in Romans 1 and 2, we've already proved that Gentiles and Gentiles are all under sin. The Gentiles didn't even have a Bible. The Gentiles didn't have the Word. They didn't know the truth. And they had sinned. Everybody has sinned. All men everywhere are guilty before God. They are all under sin. Just a slight overview of your Bible. If you study the Bible, you find that God has worked with man in different ways all through the Bible. And the whole context of the Bible, the first thing it screams is Jesus Christ is the only way. He is the Lamb of God. He paid the sin debt and all can be saved. But then God worked in different times throughout the Bible to say this, you are a failure. You are guilty. Man, you have no excuse. Shut your mouth. You have failed. You say, well, what kind of ways has he done that? In the Garden of Eden, they were innocent. In the Garden of Eden, they were in a perfect environment. Oh, there was a devil. There was a snake there. And there, uh, they only had one rule. If you said, well, if we didn't have so many rules, we could do better. But in the Garden, in a period of innocence, 
they failed the test. They came out of the garden, and you would say, well, they're out of the garden now, and what's God going to do? He lets them have their conscience. They ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now they know right from wrong, but you know what they do? They choose to do wrong, and they get kicked out of the garden. And We're in Genesis chapter 4 where it's really getting kind of cranked up by Genesis chapter 6. Man is so desperately wicked that all he ever thinks about is doing wrong. He doesn't love God. God only has eight people on the whole planet, and God destroys the world. Every thing that happens in the world says, man, you failed. You failed when you were innocent. You failed when you had a conscience. They came out of the ark and they set up human government. And you would say, all right, now they've got a fresh start. They're going to start over. They surely have learned from their mistakes. They've surely learned from the time they were innocent. They've surely learned from the time that, uh, that they had a conscience. Surely now they'll straighten up. But you know what they do? They get together and decide they don't like God. They will build a tower of Babel, and they will raise themselves up to God. They elevate themselves. They set themselves up, and God destroys the tower, divides man, gives languages, and says, strike three. You failed when you were innocent. You failed when you had a conscience, and you failed when you had human government. But out of the middle of every one of those, God brings forth grace to say, hey, you couldn't, but I can you couldn't. When they failed in the garden, a lamb died. When they, when they failed under, when they failed under conscience, God provided an ark and saved eight people. When the human government messed up and the whole world is divided, he calls out Abraham and he starts another time to show him. He says, I'll give you a promise. He has a dispensation or a time of promise when he says, let me show you if you had a personal relationship with God, if you had God's promise, you'd do all right. But they didn't do all right. From Abraham now for the rest of the book of Genesis, they're going to mess up again. Man is numbered failing the fourth time in a row. And he fails so desperately that God says, all right, I'll give you perfect divine law. And I will show you, what if you had the real law straight from God? What if a man could go all the way up to heaven and say, God, what would be a perfect law? Give us that law. God gives him that law and comes down. And for the next 2,000 years, they have the law. They have the Old Testament. They have the Ten Commandments. They have God speaking to them. They have God leading them, but they fail desperately again. Man always fails. Man fails every test that's ever put before him And God, even in the law, said, hey, here's the law to show you you failed. And every time you fail, I got a lamb that can die for you. I got an animal that can pay your price. You fail, but I have a plan. You mess up, but I have a plan. And then God, who is a man who's failed so desperately under divine law, God opens up an age of grace. He sends Jesus down and he sends the church. and, And he says, anybody, anywhere can all be saved and they can all turn to Christ. But man is so profoundly and deeply wicked. He says, nope, not interested. Grace is in their face and they kill Jesus. Grace is in their face and they turn their back on him. So then God has one other thing he's yet to do, but he's going to prove over and over, seven times over, he says, you failed. You failed number one, you failed six times in a row, and now he's going to set up a kingdom soon. And in that kingdom, Jesus will reign. And he will put Satan in a pit, in a bottomless pit. And for a thousand years, the Lord Jesus himself will make the rules. The Lord Jesus himself will govern the earth. And you would think with a perfect king and the devil gone, that man would do right. He's had six chances. Surely he's learned from history. But you know what man will do? By the end of the thousand years, he'll raise an army and fight God. Man shakes his fist in God's face and says, I won't do it. God has systematically proven to man that he refuses to love God. He refuses to seek God. Man is a complete and utter failure. If God doesn't provide the means of salvation, nobody will. First thing you should have written down, the law condemns us. The Bible condemns us. History condemns us. Man 
is a failure. And I don't know what your excuse is. I don't know what you're saying. Well, if I had a perfect environment, well, they blew it in a perfect environment. Well, if we had good laws, they blew it when they had good laws. Uh, well, if we could just do what we thought was right, they blew it when they did that too. If, they, if we just had a perfect king and, and no devil to mess with us, they're going to blow that one too. So from Genesis to Revelation, God says this, y'all stink. That's pretty hard, isn't it? God looks down and said, I made you, but you're a bunch of rebellious sinners. And you refuse to trust me and you refuse to believe me. So that leads us to the second thing I hope you'll write down. And that's the condition of man. And so what he's going to do now is he's going to say to them, let me prove to you from the Bible. You know, there's Jews listening to him. And those Jews are thinking, wait a minute, Paul, you're a tad overbearing. You're a tad overbearing. I mean, we are Jews. We are the people. We're the chosen ones. We've been circumcised. Hey, we are not one of them. And we have the very law of God. And God is good. You've admitted it yourself. And basically what Paul says is, yeah, I do. But seven times over, you've been tested. And by the way, you claim you have the word of God, but you don't even know what it says. Because let me show you what it says. And so Paul stands, to, he, he just rears back and pulls out a Bible and says, open your Bibles. And he begins to run them through a series of verses from the Old Testament. And he hooks them all together in a message. He has a sermon outline that comes from Psalms and Isaiah and other places. And this is what he says to them about the condition of man. Look if you would at, verse, at Romans chapter 3 verse 9. What then? Now I've told you you stink. What then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. And so the Jews are still sitting there going, you can say that all you want. And you can even talk about us, but just to be honest, we're okay. We're the people of God. And he says, okay, let me open your book. Let me open your law and quote it to you. So in verse 10, underline in verse 10, he says, as it is written. You know what's wrong with most Bible preaching today? There's no Bible preaching. You know what's wrong with most Bible preaching is we don't say as it is written. You know what I failed at many times in my past in my own preaching was we didn't we don't go enough to as it is written. So Paul says as it is written. Look at verse 10. As it is written there is none righteous. You ought to underline in your Bible there is none righteous. How many righteous are there? Would you tell me how many it says? How many righteous are there? Not even one. That's what none means. None is like no one put together. None. Nobody. Not one. No one. There is none righteous. No, not one. Verse 11. There is none that understands. You say, well, I, I think I understand. No, you don't. No, you don't. There is none that seeks after God. Verse 12. They are all gone out of the way. They're together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. There is none. You should underline in your Bible, there is none. There is none. That means you. That means me. That means none. That means nobody anywhere, not a Jew, not a Gentile, not a person in the Old Testament, not a person in the New Testament, not a person in China, not a person in Africa, not a person anywhere on this planet. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understands. There's none that seek after God. He uses another term that's really broad. In verse 12, he said, they are all going out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good. Every condemnation, starting in verse 10, is simply quoting from the Old Testament. Let me just give you a few examples. In verse 13, he says, their throat is an open sepulcher. In Psalm chapter 5 and verse 9, it says, there's no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inward part is very weakness, wickedness. Their throat is an open sepulcher. Paul said, hey, it's written in your book. You're supposed to know it. 
You just, you just told me that it was committed to you, the oracles of God, didn't you? You've been saying it was your book. All right, this is what it says about you. This, your book says you messed up. Verse 10, chapter 10 and verse 13, the poison of asp is under their lips. They have sharpened their tongues. In Psalm 140, verse 3, they have sharpened their tongues like serpents, adder's poison under their lips. Romans 10, 14, whose mouth is full of cursing. Psalm 10, 7 says their mouth is full of cursing. He's quoting the Old Testament. In Romans chapter 10, he says their feet are swift to shed blood, and that's Isaiah. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 18, he said there's no fear of God before their eyes. And that's Psalms 36. That's Psalm 36. The Jew would claim he had the law. And that was an advantage. So Paul quotes the law. The law to them and proves that they having the law do not even know what it says. Here's what the law says. We're wicked. We're wicked. Man is wicked. Jews are wicked. If you think having the law is an advantage, you need to think again. If you think having the law is an advantage, you need to think again. Those Jews would have looked at him and said, ho, 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 ho. You can talk all the bad stuff you want about them Gentiles. We know they're not circumcised. They're not one of the Jews. They don't have the oracles of God, but we are very special people. We are the Jews. We're a special people. He said, okay, let me quote your book to you. There is none righteous. None seeks after God. There's none that understands. They're all going out of the way. They're all together becoming unprofitable. We have failed God. We have failed God. I want you, if you would, that's the condition of man. I want you to look, if you would, at verse 20. And let me remind you what the purpose of the law is. Look in verse 20, Romans 3, 20. A very important verse. The law's purpose. The Bible says, therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. By the law is the knowledge of sin. And what was supposed to happen when you read the Old Testament law was not that you were supposed to come away saying, I am better than other people. I can compare myself to other people and think I'm good. The law was supposed to show you you can't. The law was supposed to show you that you failed. The law was supposed to take you to Jesus. That's what the purpose of the law is. The Jews didn't seem to understand it. The law was never meant as a means of salvation. It was meant as a means of breaking you. So many of us even think, man, I keep the Ten Commandments. No, you don't. And by the way, the Jews had this really pious attitude. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, before he comes under conviction, he said, when I look back on my past, I was born a Jew. I was born a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I was, I was circumcised on the eighth day. And by the way, if you want to talk about keeping the Ten Commandments, I was blameless. Do you remember a young ruler that came to Jesus and Jesus said, he said, hey, how can I find eternal life? And, the, and, the, and the Jesus said, keep the Ten Commandments. And the guy looked at him and said, I've done that ever since I was a kid. I'm a good guy. But see, good guys can't get saved and good guys can't get right because the law is supposed to show you you failed. And the apostle Paul will finally figure that out. The law is a schoolmaster to bring you to grace. The whole purpose of the law was to say you failed. You have failed God. You haven't done right. You, you are not good enough. You can't make it on your own. You were supposed to look at the law and say, I don't know where to turn. You read the Old Testament, you'll talk to me, and you'll say, boy, that's a harsh time. That was a time when God was harsh. He was harsh because he was saying to us all through the Scripture, you can't, you can't, you can't. From Genesis to Revelation, he was saying, you failed, you failed, you failed. Seven times over, at least seven times over, in seven major ways he shows us that we failed. Then all every story we fail. Man always fails. Man always fails. So law was meant to bring us to grace. 
The law is the ministry of death. And I'll show you that in just a minute in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. But the law's ministry is to kill us. The law's ministry is to say, he's in trouble. The law's ministry is to open you up and look inside and say, sew him up. He's going to die. There's no hope for him. The law's ministry is to say, you have failed God. The law shows you what sin is so you'll know that you're a sinner. So you'll know that you're a sinner. The law gives you sick enough to need a doctor sinful enough to need to see your condition and know you need to be saved by grace sinful enough to know you need a savior it brings you to a point of helplessness so that you need help now listen to this real quick somewhere along the way we've developed a jewish mentality in many of our lives and we think almost that god's got this record he's keeping it if my good outweighs my bad i get everything's okay between me and god and here's what he says. I want you to get Romans 3, Romans 2, Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3. I want you to get them straight. Here's what he said. Nope. All the good you do, bam, outweighed. Bad, 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 bad. Oh, you say, well, I, I've been baptized. Bad. Well, I, I've been circumcised. Bad. Well, I know the Bible. Bad. And before it's all over, he's saying this. You messed up. You are condemned. You are a sinner. You are on your way to hell. And Roman, you see, you can't get to grace until you've been through sin and seen that you're a sinner. You can't get to salvation. You don't need salvation, which means rescued, if you don't know you're sinking. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore. You don't, you're not sinking because you've never believed you sinned. That's what he's saying. And Romans 1, 2, and 3 is saying, boy, guys, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. I gave the law to show you you were in trouble. Because you can't get delivered and help unless you know you're in trouble. You can't get delivered or help. We tend to think of the law as like this. I do better at keeping it than you do. I got, enough, I got one notch up on you. We look at it as a way to compare ourselves and measure ourselves. We're not as bad as they are. And here's what the Bible says. Oh, no, you are too. You all stink. You all stink. Every one of you. And the only way you'll be saved is what Jesus did. So let me give you the conclusion if I could. James chapter 2 and verse 10. The Bible says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point is guilty of all. Whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point is guilty of all. So if I were to say to you, and I, you know, I don't do it anymore because when I was young, I was foolish enough to let people lie to me right in church. But I would say, is there anybody in this room that's never, ever disobeyed their parents? And then somebody would always raise their hand. Yep, me. I never disobeyed my parents one time. Well, any of you that have children probably know that person was creatively thinking. They were saying, I don't remember ever disobeying my parents. And ever, I mean, any of us that our parents know that our children have disobeyed us. Uh, if you ever disobeyed your parents, you blew it. And then the Bible would say, hey, don't commit adultery. And you could easily say, well, I've never done that. But when Jesus came along, he said, let me explain to you what I mean by don't commit adultery. I mean, if you've ever looked at a woman and thought a thought in your heart that you shouldn't think about that woman, you've done the committing of adultery. Oh, boy, we're fried. And he looked at the guys and said, hey, I told you don't commit murder. And everybody said, oh, I have never killed anybody. He said, let me explain what I mean by that. What I mean by that is if you've ever hated somebody in your heart, you've killed a guy. What he was trying to say was, don't defend yourself. Shut your mouth. You have failed. You are a sinner. That's what the Bible's saying to all of us. See, I won't get, I won't get help. I won't get help until I know my condition. So the law was to bring me to God. And so he says, hey, 
Whosoever keeps the whole law and offends one point, if you mess up one little thing, it's the same as having broken every rule. No man can keep the law. No man can keep the law. Those that have it failed. Those that didn't have it were already failing. Only faith in Jesus can save. I'd like to ask you to open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6 if you would. Open your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6 if you would and go there to that chapter with me. Now we already preached through the book of 2 Corinthians. We went uh, verse by verse through the whole book, but this is a good review for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 if you would and verse 6. And the apostle Paul is trying to establish very clearly that the Old Testament was a ministry of death, a ministry of condemnation, a, a, a ministry of killing to bring you to a New Testament, which is a ministry of life. Look, if you would, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6, who also hath made us able ministers, capable ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. Now just stop here and watch this. You see, in the Old Testament, you had the letter of the law and explained exactly what you were supposed to do. And man always failed. One guy, one day, was out on the Sabbath day, on Saturday, and he was outside and he picked up a couple of sticks. And when he picked up these sticks and they were told not to work on the Sabbath day, they, said, they, uh, they came to Moses and said, we caught him picking up sticks, what do we do? And Moses said, I'm not sure. I mean, that's really not that bad. I mean, he wasn't doing a whole bunch. He didn't cut a truckload of wood. He's only picked up a couple of sticks. Let's put him in a, a holding cell for a minute. Let me go ask God. And he comes back and says, God said, kill him. He's working. In other words, God's saying, hey, there's no gray area here. You're either in or you're out. The letter kills. But the Spirit makes alive. And when the Spirit's the Holy Spirit, what he's going to do in the New Testament. I'll show you this before I move over there. Can I just say to you in the Old Testament, did you know every time they did wrong, you know what he kept saying to them? I have a solution for you. And he provided them a sacrifice. All through your Old Testament, you can easily find all the law and all the rules and not realize that every time he showed them their failure, he showed them his grace. Every time he showed them they had messed up, he said, I have a solution. And so he makes an ark to get, Adam, uh, to get Noah and his family off the, uh, above the flood and, uh, and out of harm's way. He makes, uh, he makes animals that die and take the sin. He makes a goat that they, they pray over and put their sins on his head and the goat carries them out. He, he, he makes a lamb that's put on an altar and slain. And by the way, if you came and you said, I can't afford a lamb, he said, not a problem. I'll let you use a pigeon. If you said, I can't afford a pigeon, he said, no problem. Can you bring some flour? Can you just bring me some crushed up wheat? If you'll bring that, I'll, I'll take that offering. Because it's not about you, and it's not about what you can do. It's about what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary. The letter kills, but the Spirit makes alive. Look, if you would, at chapter 3 and verse 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 7. And I hope you already have it underlined from our last time through, but if you don't, underline it this time. But if the ministration of death, the ministration of death, the ministry of death, written and engraven in stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the Mo Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away. Now, I want you to look this way just a second. Listen, you see, the law was a fantastic thing. And the apostle Paul said, the letter kills, and I'm a minister of the New Testament. He said, do you understand that the giving of law was a fantastic thing? He went up into the presence of God. God looked at him, his face shone. He got the very, the finger of God wrote out the Ten Commandments, and he came back down with the Ten Commandments, and God brought the law to us. And he said, and that was so glorious. 
but it was a temporary thing. It was the fading of his face because the purpose of that law was to say, you have sinned. The law simply said, you're going to die. I mean, the law is saying you're going to die. It's a schoolmaster. It is, it is to take you to Jesus. That's the purpose to show you who it is. Look in chapter 3 and verse 9, if you would. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 9. For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. Now, if you have your Bible open there, which I hope you do, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, would you underline this? The letter kills in verse 7. Or six. In verse seven, underline the ministration of death. The ministration of death. In verse nine, underline the ministration of condemnation. And then underline the ministration of righteousness. Now, before I go to these last points, I want you to look this way and listen to me. Here's what the Old Testament does for us. Here's what the law does for us. And Jews, you may have the law, but here's what it does for us. It stacks up our sin like cordwood. It stacks up our sin like firewood. It stacks up our sin and big mountains to say you have sinned and every thought you've ever had and every idle word you've ever spoken and every idea you've ever had that was wrong he's got a record of it all and that's the whole point he said you think you're doing good i know every thought you've ever had i know every idle word you've ever spoken and that's death there's no way you're going to change this scale and then there's the ministration of righteousness. And that's 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, where Jesus comes forward. And in Isaiah chapter 53, and he says, hey, I will take your sins and I will place them on Jesus and he will pay your sin debt. And he that knew no sin will become sin so that you who are sinners can be made righteousness and the very righteousness of God. So the old thing said, you sinned, you sinned, you sinned, you failed, you failed, you can't. And the ministry of righteousness is, but Jesus can. Bam. And the ministry of Jesus says, hey, take all of his sin. I'll go to the cross and I'll pay his sin debt. And all of our sins were laid on him, Isaiah 53, 6. And he paid all the sin debt. And, and Paul stands forward. He says, look, guys, the law simply told you y'all messed up. I wouldn't be bragging about the law. You're like walking around with an electric chair tied around your neck saying, I'm really proud of this electric chair. I'm fixing to die in it. You're walking around with the Ten Commandments written on your chest, and you're saying, I got the Ten Commandments. Yeah, you do. That's every reason to kill you. That's every reason to show you're a failure. And once you realize you're a failure, though, the ministry of death, he kicks in and says, hey, Romans chapter 3 will end. We won't get to it until next week. You've got to come back. But next week, we'll find this out. He's going to look at it and say, do y'all figured it out yet? You can't keep enough rules to get there. So you're going to need what I did on the cross. Look, if you would, at 3.6, the letter kills, 3.7, the ministry of death, 3.9, the ministry of condemnation, and the ministry of righteousness. You must put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He is the only hope you have. It is what God did through Jesus on the cross that offers our only hope of salvation. We will be saved by his grace and goodness, or we will not be saved at all. There aren't two ways to get saved. There aren't two things you can do. Just like in the garden when man realized he was naked, alone, and ashamed, and Jesus came to him, that's where you need to find yourself today. You know, we're in Genesis also on Sunday nights. We're in Genesis. And you remember what happens when Adam and Eve sin? They realize they're naked, and it's getting towards evening when 
Jesus has the habit of coming and walking with them and talking with them in the evening. And Adam and Eve have now sinned. And all of a sudden they look down and they realize they've been naked all along. But all of a sudden they look down and they realize they're naked and they're ashamed and they're embarrassed. And they go find a place to cover themselves up and they sew fig leaves around themselves and they don't want to see God. And by the way, it wasn't them that went looking for God. It was God who came looking for them. And God comes down to him and he says, Adam, Adam, where are you? He knew where he was, but he needed Adam to know where he was. He needed Adam to know where he was. And Adam says, hey, I'm hiding because I'm naked. He said, who told you he was naked? Did you eat of the tree? You know he knew he ate of the tree. He needed Adam to realize, you violated what I told you to do. You sinned and now you're embarrassed. And Adam said, well, we made these dresses out of fig leaves here. We got some leaves together and sewed them together and made us something to cover us with. We're embarrassed. And the God of heaven said, okay, take that off. I'll put clothes, uh, 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 coats of skin on you and cover you. And Jesus came. You see, it's all about you realizing your sin before you get the covering of skins. Romans chapter 3 and verse 19. Romans three nineteen. See, every mouth has to be shut because all are guilty. Verse 19, now we know that whatsoever things, whatsoever things the law saith, it says to them that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Now listen to this if you would. You have to understand biblically. The excuse that's running through your head right now doesn't work. That's what he's saying. You know the Bible? Well, the Bible tells you pretty good you're in bad shape hush quit making excuses quit trying to cover yourself up quit trying to hide your sin the god of heaven knows all of it and we are guilty and so the last verse for this morning romans chapter 3 and verse 20 therefore because of what i've been saying in romans chapter 3 nobody gets saved by keeping the rules Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. Nobody will get saved by keeping the rules. You see what he said to him? He said, uh, you guys are bragging about having the rules. You guys are bragging about having the, the law and that God committed to you the very oracles of God. Well, let me explain something to you. Your very oracles say you're sinners and you have failed God. You have blown it. And then he says, so let me explain something. The law won't save anybody. So nobody's going to go to heaven because of how many times they've been baptized or how many times they prayed a certain prayer or how many times they went to church or how much money they gave or how good they were or how submissive a wife they were or how good a husband they were or how good a parent they were or how much they did for their community because nobody is going to make any points with God by doing the good stuff. Because the good, the, the, the law says this. You failed, 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 you failed. You say, well, I did something good. All right, you failed, you failed, you failed, you failed, you failed. Did something good. Failed, 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 failed. Good. Failed, 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 failed. You've got so much failure, you can't make it. So let me explain. Nobody gets saved by doing what the book says. You get saved by trusting what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary. If you haven't done that. I invite you to do that today. If you have done that, praise God. Because when you walk out of here, you can know you're saved. And you can know that you're secure because it wasn't what you did. It's what he did. 
It wasn't what you did. It's what he did. And that's where security comes from. It doesn't come from, well, I, I got baptized and I prayed the prayer. And, and hey, I even got foundations under my belt at, at church. So I, I think I'm all right. None of that counts. What counts is this. It wasn't what I did. It's what he did. Are you sure you're born again? Father in heaven, I love you. And I thank you for the opportunity to be in your house. And I pray, God, that you would drive home this truth. And I pray you would shut mouths and open hearts. And I pray you'd prove in their whole, the Holy Spirit would prove in their heart to them that they are guilty. We were all guilty before you. And I pray, God, that you'd help us to trust you for salvation that comes only through what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary. And I'll give you praise for it. I pray, God, that Christians would just today decide that it's not about what they do or what they have done, that their security rests in what Jesus did, and they will love you. And thank you for your goodness and your grace. You have been listening to Austin Gardner, pastor of Vision Baptist Church. For contact information, location, service times, or more audio and video recordings, log on to www.visionbaptist.com.